This is Debbie, and welcome to another brand new episode of The Offbeat Life, where I speak to inspiring individuals who ditched the norm to live their best life and become location independent. This week, I speak with Sandra Muller, who is a professional writer by day and a burgeoning novelist by night. Sandra is a content strategist who left a safe and secure career to travel the world. Little did she know it would lead to the most amazing journey that not only gave her fulfillment, but a beautiful family. Today, Sandra is a freelancer with a home base in Korea and continues to be a content strategist and SEO copywriter. Listen on to find out how Sandra has been able to become a location independent content strategist. Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining us. I am here with Sandra. Hey Sandra. Hello, Debbie. Thank you so much for joining me today. You're all the way from where? Australia right now? Well, I'm oh, I'm in Korea right now. You're in via Korea. Australia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> South. I feel like I have to point that out. I'm not in North Korea. <laughs> we would not be able to have this chat. I know. I was like, wow, you can do that there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Sandra, for joining me today. So can you fill in the gaps of your story and why you live an offbeat life? I think, yeah, for me, the alternative is quite mundane. And I got a taste for travel uh, when I just finished university and I backpacked by myself around the US and Canada for about five or six months. And it was just eye-opening and I just met all these amazing people from around the world. I met amazing Americans. The thing that really struck me about the Americans that I met is that they moved around a lot. So you would ask somebody, oh, where are you from? And they would say, well, I grew up in California, but then I went to school in New York and now I live in Chicago. <laughs> and I'm not, I come from a place where you move to the next suburb and that's a big change. That was, yeah, quite eye-opening and I'd always wanted to explore more of the world and and to do it in a way beyond the annual leave that we were given, um, which is quite generous in Australia. It's four weeks. But, you know, there's only so much you can take in in four weeks. So I was really keen to get that experience of staying somewhere a little longer. And I was first drawn to Korea back in 2001. So we're going back quite a while. Uh, and I took up a position teaching English because that was kind of one of the really easy things to do, to live somewhere else and um, make a, a decent income. I did that for about three years and I taught in Korea, Taiwan and China before returning to Australia. Yeah, it just felt like a good time to be heading back home for family reasons. And I fell into freelance work for the very first time. I'd been sending updates to friends and family. I called it sans spam. <laughs> um, yeah, so just it was kind of the fish out of water scenarios that you go through as a foreigner in a foreign land. And yeah, just all those quirky experiences that you have. And because I'd been writing this uh, newsletter, a couple of my friends who had started up their own content agency were like, hey, San, you can actually write. Would you like to come and work for us? And I was just, well, yeah, that would be fantastic. And so it, it started 
kind of by chance from there. And and I started working on um, uh, a lot of government projects. So writing and editing web content. And I did that for several years. What is it that you currently do now? Are you doing a lot of writing uh, for yourself for a blog? And you do a lot of content writing, right? Yeah, I do a lot of writing for myself. Um, I do my own blogging. I also have some niche websites that are developing to generate some residual income each month. So using my writing skills to be able to to do that. But uh, my main bread and butter comes from content strategy work and SEO copywriting. So I'll be working on large, mostly government projects, some private projects and working with a team, like a large team of people. We're all remote and yeah, it's pretty amazing what, what you can do in a, with a big team of people delivering a large content project. You're doing this as a nomad, you know, you were in Australia, now in Korea, and you're living the dream that you've always wanted to do when you saw all of those other Americans <laughs> moving left <laughs> and right. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I took a bit of a wayward path. I went down, um, I suppose, an entrepreneurial path while I was doing the freelance work and had a startup and we were developing, with two other uh, fabulous women, we were developing mobile content. And this was even before the first iPhone was released. And I learned incredible lot, but we were just burnt out and it was took three years and we were just exhausted and it was expensive and... We're creating mobile comics, but it was would cost somebody $10 in Australia to download the comic after they paid for the comic. So it just wasn't a realistic market for us at that time. And it's just a shame that we were just so early for the market, like we were there before 3G. Yeah, so sort of tail between legs after that failed enterprise, I returned to full-time work. And, and I had a great job for a while as a content manager for uh, an international engineering company, and that involved a lot of travel. So I got to visit our offices all around Australia, New Zealand, uh, in the UK. And so I got you know extra taste of travel that way. So that was good. One of my life goals is to wake up on my own terms. And that means waking up without an alarm clock and just letting my day unfold naturally and doing things that I want to do. And I'm happy to say that I am in that position now, which is fantastic. Uh, and it took took a while to get there while I was having my soul sucked dry in corporate world I fell pregnant and I had a little boy and by this time I was 40 when I had my son so a late a late mother and um, and that just changed everything and I just knew from the moment that I knew I was pregnant that I was not going to return to the corporate world and that I would make a go of it on my own, do freelancing work again, and continue that path. Well, it's also really interesting, Sandra, how you decided to stay at your job because you had the mortgage, but you decided to leave it when you knew you had a child. And for most people, it would be the oh, opposite, that's offbeat, right? Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess it's like you knew that you had to change your life so you could have a life you truly wanted once you started to have a family and it was more important to you to have that. So that's really yeah, courageous. I've never really thought of it that way before. But 
I suppose it is. It's like, yes, let's get rid of security because <laughs> we're having a child. <laughs> but I had worked hard and I had well-paid jobs, uh, full-time jobs. So I did have a buffer. I had you know, a, a healthy buffer that meant that I could sleep at night without worrying about how we're going to pay the electric bill or how we're going to pay our rates or our credit card, etc. So there was some comfort there. So let's not say that Sandra just left and she had no money with a child. Like she <laughs> she had savings and she was responsible. Yes, that's true. <laughs> that is true. But it's a great impetus. And I know like I have a lot of friends around my age or even uh, women who are, say, even 10 years younger that have gone down a similar path to me after having children because they were like, I cannot make. Uh, working and being committed to a position, even if it's just part-time and juggling everything that's going on in my kid's life and um, and being there and being part of those, particularly those early years because they just go so fast and, yeah, you just kind of need that flexibility as well. For a mom who started it, um, who started late, right, and a lot of my listeners are young women and they're looking at you as inspiration for this and myself as well. Was there any reasons why you decided to to have a family late? Is there any pros and cons to do it? And was there something that you didn't expect that it's just like a pleasant surprise or you wish that you knew before going into this and, you know, starting a business and also having a family? I think like my 20s were... Yeah, spent doing a lot of travel, very, very sort of, I call them my selfish years <laughs> in a way, but I, because I was just very inwardly focused. And yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that or for anyone who, who's doing that now, but it's it's a time of exploration and you're really just getting to know yourself and putting yourself out there in the world and what do I want to do with the rest of my life? And you don't have all those answers back then and you don't have to. And I And I didn't either. Um, but I certainly knew that I wasn't cut out for um, motherhood, especially not even, you know, into my early to mid-30s. I just did not have, I've never had the ticking clock. I've never felt that biological need to reproduce. I've never felt maternal. I'd never changed a nappy in my life. Um, diaper for you Americans, <laughs> that would be. Um, but I, um, I had nieces and nephews and I just adored them, but I would never be the one to solo babysit them ever I've never been responsible for a child like <laughs> in my whole life so yeah the concept of parenthood was quite foreign to me and it was my 39th birthday and I went to a funeral and it was my sister-in-law's father and and to see his family around and he had grandkids and his own children there and something twigged inside of me and I went, right, it's now or never. <laughs> yeah, my husband and I, we had the chat and said, let's do it. Let's make it happen. And um, and we did. That's it. We're going to do this and we're taking that first steps to to create this life and to have this family that, that you want and that you thought you didn't know you wanted. And then all of a sudden it was like, bam, yep. you knew you wanted yep. it. I said, we'll do what it takes to make it happen. And we did what it took to make it happen. So it wasn't an easy ride, especially, you know, for a woman's fertility drops off after 38, like significantly. So, yeah, we had to um, have some uh, assistance there. Um, but that was fine. You know, we, we got our little boy and he's just a beautiful little soul. 
yeah, he, he's he's quite incredible. So I just wasn't ready for it. I wasn't ready for it emotionally, especially emotionally, financially, absolutely not. Back then I was living, you know, around in my, even in my early 30s, I was still living paycheck to paycheck, I suppose. Yeah, I felt like I didn't have the financial means to support a child. You can't force yourself to want to do something. You really have to be ready for it so that it's fair for your children as well. Sandra, you went into full-time freelance world and work after you had your child. Was there one thing you wish you knew before becoming a freelancer? Because I'd already done it several for several years, I had a fairly good idea what it would be like at that point. And I think the big one um, and the one that I would choose to share with your podcast listeners is cash flow. Uh, Managing your cash flow can be really hard when you're doing freelance work because, for example, I might start work on a government project next week and that project might run for several months, but we'll bill for that project when we start on it, but we won't get paid for that for 30 days. Yeah, it, it can take a while for these cycles to happen. So sometimes you can do work, say, in um, early June, and then but you don't actually get paid for that work until August. So managing cash flow can be really tricky uh, at times. But that's working on these big projects where you work for these organisations where you can't set your own terms. But if I'm working on a smaller project and I'm working like on a small business project, then I'd I build 50% up front before I even start. So, you know, I know that that money's there and it's coming in. And then if I have to chase anything, it's the 50% down the track, but hopefully not. So cash flow is a really big thing. And not a lot of people think about that. You know, they think it's just like your regular nine to five. You have the steady paycheck. You really have to plan for everything because you're in charge of billing. And that's the stuff that we usually don't see when you're working at your nine to five is there's people actually in charge yes. of billing for you and you don't yes. have to handle that. Yes, and it's, and it's everything that fits into your pricing. I think people forget about this as well. When you're pricing for a job, you've got to be thinking like, well, I'm paying for the, um, the electricity for the lights to be on for my laptop I'm paying for um, Facebook ads I'm paying whatever it is that your expenses are then your annual leave sick leave for example you're paying yourself these things as well and I think people tend to forget that when they're working out their hourly rate as well so what has been your biggest setback that you've encountered throughout this whole journey and how do you usually handle them I think the biggest setback is myself and uh, I suppose you'd call it imposter sy- syndrome and and it hits me every time I start a new project, every time without fail and yeah, it's crazy. It's like, oh my God, these people have entrusted me to do this work for them and I'm not sure that I can, I'm actually the right person to do this for them and, and I keep waiting for them to, to figure it out that you know I'm not that good. But then I have to remind myself that I feel this way every time I start a project. And it's just those first sort of two to three weeks where it's like starting a new job. You've got to figure out the lay of the land. And so I just have to remind myself and trust that I will find my way to confidence and I will know what I'm doing. And and I have two decades of experience to fall back on. It's really interesting how someone like you who have so much experience still doubt themselves. Oh, it never <laughs> goes away. It doesn't. And I talk to a lot of people about this and I run in a 
trips and events when I go back to Australia for visits, um, like blogging type events. And I've had people come and talk about imposter syndrome and how we can manage it because it fascinates me and, and it's just amazing just to see all the hands in the room shoot up. Yep, that's me too. <laughs> It's great. We all share that common thing of imposter syndrome. I think it becomes dangerous when you feel like you deserve everything and, you know, you're too good for everything. I think it kind of gives you that sense of reality that we have to really appreciate everything because it could just be taken away and just experience everything and appreciate everything that you have you definitely do deserve everything that you got that is good for you if when you're working for it but it's just hard to actually accept that a lot of times be thankful yeah a bit of gratitude as well you traveled to so many different places what has been the worst advice that you have ever received to stay home don't go i moved to korea when it was uh in march 2016 um, I should point out that the reason I'm back in Korea is because when I was here in 2001, I picked up a husband and and he's Korean. Oh, you yeah. you just picked up a husband. Went to the husband <laughs> <shop>. <laughs> yeah, uh, he, and he's Korean. Um, and because we had our little boy, we wanted to induct him into the language and the culture and, of course, let him get to know his extended family here in Korea as well. So that was one of the reasons why we decided to come. We gave digital nomading um, a trial run and I am a terrible digital nomad. I <laughs> just, yeah, we, we, went, we still had a house and everything in Australia. We organised leaving that behind and we went to Vietnam for three months. And after two weeks of working on the road and in different hotels and I had like this awful crick in my neck, I'm just, I can't do this. I cannot do this. And I just had deadlines and people coming in, you're trying to jump on planes and trains and it was crazy. So I'm like, how do people do this? How do they work while they're on the road? So we plonked. I call myself a digital plonker and we plonked in the one city, Nha Trang, um, on the east coast of Vietnam for about two and a half, nearly three months. And yeah, that's where we spent all our time and we rented an apartment, a furnished apartment and we stayed there and I loved it. Absolutely loved it. I loved spending my time in the one place, getting to know it really well, finding the favorite restaurants, having the same, doing the same walk every morning, swimming in the beach. It was just, it was fantastic. And my husband's pretty sneaky <laughs> because he, he had this bigger plan that <laughs> we would pack up and sell our house and travel the world and and yeah so he just gave me this little taste of it he convinced me to go for three months and yeah well it just changed my life because we came home we packed up we sold our house and <laughs> we moved to Korea look at him being sneaky right but thank goodness you enjoyed it yes and then it sort of almost becomes my idea he, he, he knows how to play me so well <laughs> And, you know, I just wanted to touch up on something that you said too, Sandra, how you didn't do well as a digital nomad. And a lot of people, I mean, obviously you should definitely experience this, but it's not for everybody, right? And I tell people this all the time. I want to be location independent. I want to have freedom lifestyle, but I don't want to be a digital nomad. I want to have a place where I'm settled and I have a set place that I can go home to. And if I want to travel, I'll I'll do it, but it's not necessarily for work. And I honestly, I don't want to travel for work. I want to travel for leisure and pleasure, not for oh, work. Oh, we are like peas <laughs> in a pod. 
definitely not for everybody. And also I think having a child adds some complexity to it as well because you you don't – travel now is very different because he's asleep by 9 o'clock at night or thereabouts depending on time zones. You know, we're not going to bars and – or at least not after hours. It's very different kind of much slower travel as well. So you've really got to take their needs into account. And when we were in Vietnam and we would be at a swimming pool, for example, and he would just attach himself to some random Russian child and say, Mummy, here's my here's my new best friend. And the kid couldn't even, couldn't understand him and he couldn't understand this child. And I just felt really bad. Like, oh, he's missing, yeah, he's missing that connection with kids back home. And so that's one of the reasons why um, I said to my husband, look, if we're going to do this, let's just let's have a base and let's do it in Korea and let him go to daycare, kindergarten and make friends there and have like a a regular sort of steady life. And yeah, it's been amazing. He's just fitted in so well. He didn't know. I knew a few words of Korean, but I don't think he knew that they were Korean. I think they were just part of his English vocab. (laughs) And now he's he's very proficient. He's pretty much fluent as much as a four or five-year-old child needs to be in any language. And children are very, you know, they they pick up so many things and they're very versatile and they're so smart and they outsmart adults. Seriously, I say about my son, I just say, (laughs) you are smarter than me and you are smarter than your dad just don't know as much yet but my goodness yeah (laughs) he's he's so smart achieving your dreams are you know is really hard especially if you're trying to do it in a freelance lifestyle so how were you able to create income at the start and how do you continue to do that today well it comes through networking personal networks and personal contacts and that is how I've grown my business and that is how I've sustained my business and that's how I get income and My work comes through referrals. So if I've worked with a client, they've been happy, they've passed on my details to someone else who's looking for a copywriter or um, an editor, for example. Because I work in teams as well, when um, I'll manage a team of writers um, while I'm doing content strategy type work and then taking on a lead editorial type role of the content that they produce. Those people then, if they've enjoyed working with me, they'll refer me to other people as well. And I work with a couple of, uh, I suppose you'd call them content agencies, but really they're just mates. <laughs> they're mates of mine um, who ha- happen to have content agency businesses. And they're the ones that go out and source the work and do the tenders and do the marketing side of stuff. And then, um, yeah, they sign me up to take a lead role on the project. So it, that's very lucky in that regard that, um, yeah, I'm just so grateful for that but and that's come from years of forging relationships with people and you know being someone that people like to work with and and I suppose I'm doing a good job yeah (laughs) imposter syndrome listen to me (laughs) 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 but yeah 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 so it's really about relationships and and when I talk to people that are new and getting into it and I yeah I tell them about going to their networks and that's past colleagues, people that they've worked with and just getting that one job, just that one job can beget so much more work and it's and it's like that ball rolling down a mountain, you know, it just starts to pick up momentum and then, you know, your second job gets more work and 
and so on. I definitely agree with you on that one, Sandra. Personal relationships and your connections and networking is the way to go because that's also going to allow you to grow in such a faster pace than what you would be capable of if you just do it on your own. So that's really crucial. Let's fast forward to 30 or 40 years from now and you're looking back at your life. What legacy would you like to leave and what do you want to be remembered? I would like to be remembered as someone who lived an offbeat life who hasn't felt the need to be contained within societal norms like you know you must go to university and and then you must do this and then you must have this job and then you must you know progress in your career and have a family and live in your suburban home and have your two cars and your annual holiday to Bali kind of thing um I just and if that's right for you great but you won't be listening to this podcast if it weren't I would like to think that I would inspire people not to do what I've done because I know that that's pretty radical, like to sell up your house in your early 40s and move away from your, all your family and friends. And my parents are getting elderly now, so that was really, really hard. And my whole family is very attached to our little boy. Um, so I really felt like ripping him away from them uh, for this experience of ours. But it doesn't have to be that big. And for my brother, he was inspired by us that he went, you know what, I'm not going to wait another two, three years until I finish paying off the mortgage of my house to buy my dream motorcycle. I'm going to buy it now. <laughs> if, if, if Sam can do it, I can do it. So it, it'll be things like that, like um, I suppose having a, an impact on people's lives where they've looked a bit inward, I suppose, and done that thing that they thought they couldn't do that seemed really scary, but actually it's achievable and it's doable. So I, I would like to leave that kind of legacy within my network where people are inspired to yeah, pursue a passion. Living the life that you want to live actually inspires people more than us talking about it, right? Because then it's leading by example and not just by speaking about it, which is more powerful and in so many more ways because you're talking to talk and walking the walk and doing all of those things that a lot of people may not have the courage to do and then they see you doing it and they're like, wow, if Sandra can do this, I can do this. Yes. Let's all do this. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I know that's not like a, a big kind of, no, I've left a, a foundation for children's literacy in my name, but, you know, that's something I wouldn't mind doing. Yeah, it's definitely a good legacy. So, Sandra, let's get to some fun questions. Some people, like myself, nerd out on interviewing inspiring people like you and hiking. What about you? What do you nerd out on? Well, I like hiking as well, and I love Pilates, <laughs> which I six months ago, I never thought I would have said that. It's become my new hobby. <laughs> <laughs> Having traveled to so many different places, what has been the most life-changing meeting with a person that you have ever encountered? Well, I would say that it happened in January 2002, and I'd been doing Taekwondo in um, Korea, as you do. Goodness, Pilates, Taekwondo, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> well, you know, just doing something local. And... And I would attend uh, an English club group. And really, it was just a group of Koreans that wanted to practice their English in a kind of structured environment. But they were just ply full of alcohol and delicious food in exchange for um, language conversation. And so I met some really, really lovely people, some good friends through English club. And I hadn't been for a while, but I was injured and I was on crutches and couldn't do Taekwondo. So I thought, oh, I will um, 
attend English club. And and I just happened to sit down to like the most beautiful creature I think I'd ever seen in my entire life. And and uh, I just said, oh, I don't need this complication. <laughs> and um, yeah, about six or seven months later, uh, we left Korea together and uh, traveling. And plonking and traveling and plonking ever since. What a beautiful love story yeah. you have there. I, <laughs> I love how Sandra just sees what she wants and just goes for it. Oh, did you notice <laughs> I did say, yeah, I met my husband in a bar. <laughs> Got really drunk. Every girl's uh, dream, <laughs> I'm trying to make right? it a little bit more whimsical. <laughs> but yeah, I met him in a bar. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's a better love story when you tell your son about yeah, that. Yeah, well, we took him back to that place, to the city that we used to live in. And we're like, oh, see that building over there, up there on the second floor? It's not it's not the pub anymore, but that's where mummy and daddy met. And he's just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I'm hungry. Let's go. He's like, yeah, I don't care. What are you working on today that's really exciting to you? Well, I'm I'm working on a, a novel. It's my first novel. I'm about 25,000 words in, and it's a young adult novel. A novel. It's a coming-of-age story and, yeah, a story about growth and love and loss and family and friendships and all that sort of stuff. There's no supernatural beings, no vampires, no werewolves, just normal people doing normal things <laughs> and, yeah, stuff happens. That's really exciting. You definitely have to let us know once that comes out. I'm so excited for that. Oh, you're so positive. Listen to you when it comes out. <laughs> Yes, when it comes out, you put it out in the world, it's going to happen, right? I don't want that imposter syndrome. <laughs> yes, exactly. No imposter syndrome on this one. So if our listeners want to know more about you, where can they find you? Well, I recently started a new blog called thesmarterwriter.com. And it's where I I also have my consulting business website, which is Sandra L for Louise. My middle name, Muller, M-U-L-L-E-R.com. And I have a blog on there and I have a little bit of stuff on there about uh, digital being a digital nomad and probably more like my failed attempts at being a digital nomad and turning into a more of an expat, I'd say. The Smarter Writer came about because I felt kind of restricted uh, writing under my corporate brand. And the Smarter Writer is just a little bit more fun, a little bit more playful, um, and just diving into some areas that really fascinate me, like um, neuroscience and creativity, uh, because I don't believe in the magic of creativity and talent. Yeah, I, I believe that there are sciencey things that work, even though <laughs> I'm the least sciencey person that you could meet. But I'm, I'm sort of trying to discover more about it and share it with other people. Yeah, so to, to make creativity more accessible and not seem like that thing that is. Um, comes about through divine intervention. Yeah, there's so much work that, that goes along with it. So thank you so much, Sandra, for joining us today. I really appreciate all of this incredible knowledge that you shared with us. Oh, I've had a ball, Debbie. It's just been, um, yeah, <laughs> really fun interview. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Sandra. Make sure to visit theoffbeatlife.com. Again, that's theoffbeatlife.com to get the extended interview with Sandra where she shares how to write well for online content. Hey, Offbeat family, I really appreciate you listening to this episode. I would love to hear more from you and what you think of the podcast suggestions on guests, topics we can discuss, or maybe you just want to be friends. 
Why don't we chat some more on Facebook at The OB Life or send me a message at hello at theoffbeatlife.com. I can't wait to hear from you.